today's podcast brought to you by bookstores. So I'm getting rung up at Barnes & Noble yesterday, and the lady at the register says, uh, do you have a Barnes & Noble discount card? And I said, I don't have the card, but we've got an account. She asked for the phone number. I gave it to her, and she looked at her computer screen and said, is it under Rebecca? And I said, yes. She said, Rebecca Lobo? I said, yes. She continued to ring me up, swiped the credit card, bagged the books, and as I'm leaving, she said, tell your wife I love her. So I came home and told you, the lady at Barnes & Noble loves you. <laughs> I heard it at least. Somebody told you. <laughs> Says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. So we've launched this podcast, and our producer friend Denny Gallagher asked us last week whose name goes first when we're posting this on iTunes and other places and I said I don't know much but I know this much it's going to be Rebecca and Steve not the other way around it's kind of the story of our marriage when we uh, got a wedding gift before we were even married one of the gifts was addressed to Steve and Rebecca Lobo no the very first gift we got I cut out the UPS mailing label and it was on our, refri- our fridge. Yeah, yeah, it was on our refrigerator forever. Um, In case there was any chance of me forgetting who I was, one of your friends, not as a joke, sent a present to Rebecca and Steve Lobo. Oh, that's what it was, Rebecca and Steve. It wouldn't Lobo. have been Steve and Rebecca. <laughs> it was Rebecca and Steve Lobo. The beauty of the whole thing is, I keep the name Lobo for work, but everywhere else, I'm Rebecca Russian. Like all of our kids' friends call me Mrs. Russian, and I coach most of our kids, and I'm Coach Russian to all those kids. You keep it for work and in case well, there's ever a moving violation <laughs> in traffic, it's on your license. I have perhaps three or four times been pulled over for going maybe two or three miles per hour over the speed limit. Fortunately, it was in Connecticut and the officer on the scene <laughs> let me go. But this wasn't only just when we got, well, you know what? I'm gonna go off on a tangent a little bit because I talk about, you know, our kids' friends call me Mrs. Russian. So we've had friends who say, you know, no, it's okay. You don't have to call me Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. You can call me by my first name. Call me Mr. Steve. (laughs) I am completely opposed to that. I think there's sort of a delineation of respect that adults get that all of our kids, you know, will call an adult Mr. or Mrs. whatever their last name is. Of course. I still call my parents' friends who are 85 Mr. Kennedy. Yes. They've earned that. Even if that's not their last name. (laughs) Even if it's a woman, I call them all Mr. <laughs> Even if it's Mrs. Kennedy. Smith, you're going to call him Mr. Kennedy. So I, I just think that's really important. And I'll even, you know, a kid, not an adult, you know, something, well, what's Gino like? You know, not to be a complete jerk, but I'll say, you know, well, Coach Oriemma or Mr. Oriemma is whatever. You know, that's just on a tangent. But yeah, you know, I don't care if they call, actually, one of our, our next door neighbor, the twins, when they were younger, when we'd be... Younger? We'd be, uh, <laughs> younger as in a month ago, yes. We'd be walking or running by their house and they would yell... 
Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Lobo. <laughs> but and still do. In fairness, they don't they don't know your last name, but at least they're not calling you Hi, Mr. Steve. They're not the only ones who don't know our last name. When our firstborn was born, a charity who we've done work for sent a lovely set of stationery for our newborn daughter, and it said at the top, Siobhan Rose Lobo. And I <laughs> said, could you please let them know gently that you didn't have to take my last name, but our children do have our last, my last name. Instead, what I did was I had her take the piece of stationery and write them a thank you note inside it, Siobhan Rose Lobo, because to me that seemed, uh, that seemed even better. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the story of my life. So a few years ago, more than a few years ago now, because there was still a WNBA team in Sacramento, whenever that was, you were on the road in Sacramento on a Friday night in the little town that we live in where nothing ever happens and certainly nothing ever happens after seven. You know, your parents said nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> nothing happens after seven. So uh, I'm sitting at home. There's a, the doorbell rings, unheard of, at 10 p.m. on a Friday night. I answer it. On our front step are 15 high school girls and a middle-aged man. And they say in one voice, we're from a church group, we're on a scavenger hunt, we have to have our picture taken with someone famous, is she home? <laughs> and I say, no, I'm sorry, she's not home, she's in Sacramento, you know, good luck with your scavenger hunt. And as I'm closing the door, a voice from the back of the pack says, well, take his picture, he's kind of famous, I guess. And so I sweep the door open a little bit, perking up, and the middle-aged chaperone said, He's not famous. And one of the girls said, well, his picture's in Sports Illustrated every week. And the guy replies, well, that's not going to count. So now I'm standing on my front step <laughs> as they're debating whether I'm famous enough in this small town in Connecticut to count as famous for their church group scavenger hunt. They finally decide, what the hell? It costs nothing to take my picture, and maybe it will count. And maybe they can trade up for the weekend weatherman who lives five miles away and, and they'll win. So they all gather around me on the front, my own front step. <laughs> I'm saying cheese, the guy with the middle-aged chaperone is taking the picture. And as he's snapping the picture, he says, I'm telling you, it's not going to count. He's only famous for being her dad. <laughs> her dad. <laughs> you love that, don't you? That could be my favorite story of anything that has ever happened to us in our marriage. And your response of outrage was, my dad, my dad has a full head my of jet dad. black hair. <laughs> yes. There's no way anyone could mistake you for my dad. You're as bald as can be. <laughs> also, this brings to mind now, when we were dating, your sister was in New York, and I was catching a ride with her up to Connecticut, where you were, and her car broke down on 84 or 91 and I know this because as the hood was smoking we pushed the car off into the managed to push it off into the parking lot of a Holiday Inn down in Southington or someplace Rocky, Marriott. it was a Marriott I think yeah. it was in Rocky Hill Rocky yeah. Hill and we called you to come get us and when you walked in the lobby the manager of the of the Marriott who hadn't given us the time of day previously said, oh Rebecca how's it going great to see you what are you doing here and then he you introduced your sister, and then he turned to me and said, And who are you? Her coach? <laughs> yeah, she travels with a coach on Saturday night at, at 10 p.m. Well, just to work on free throw as well. Perhaps if, you know, if you 
look like my father, then you must also look like my coach. If I look like your father and you're married to me, the joke is on you. <laughs> that is true. And you look nothing like my father because he's a mustachioed man with a full head of jet black hair. So, uh... what, is, what is that? He's, he's a mustachioed... Yes, he is a mustachioed man. <laughs> if only I could be a mustachioed man. Oh I could gosh. squeeze out a mustache right now like the Play-Doh fuzzy pumper, <laughs> I know. as you know. I wonder if that would be my same reaction now, if it would be, uh, you know, I've broken down in my car. Now that we've been married almost 15 years, what I'd say, use Uber? <laughs> or, or exactly what I would do, and, and that brings to mind <laughs> a story that involves my mustachioed father. This is when you decided to write a column for Sports Illustrated. It was the first day of March Madness. And so where there's games on from what, like 11 a.m. all the way through midnight. Yeah. And so you went to a bar in Hartford. Um, Vaughn's Public House. Vaughn's Public House. Of course, it was going to be an Irish bar to watch basketball all, all day. This is what you told me. I'm going to go to Vaughn's. I'm going to spend the, the day watching basketball. I'm going to spend 12 hours watching the first day of the tournament. This is work. This is your work for the day. And then you'd be done at, at whatever time. So you drove yourself into Hartford. I think, did we have one, a couple kids at this point? We must have. Yes. We had a couple small children. I just remember, you know, at some point, very late in the evening, getting a call saying, I've been enjoying my day watching college basketball. I simply can't drive myself home. What a responsible man. What a responsible man. And me, as I'm home, I must have had probably maybe a newborn and a two-year-old. I think my answer was, call my father. So you, after being, we've been married for a few years at this point, call my mustachioed father and ask him to come pick your drunk butt up from Vaughn's public house because you've been working all day. What's that? Why didn't I take well, a cab? Well, Uber wasn't around then. No. Why didn't you take a cab? I, I can't imagine why I wouldn't have taken a cab. Because this is the kind of stuff you do. You're you know why I didn't of... take a cab? I was out of money and probably had had my wallet stolen in order to hold my place at the bar. Vaughn's was happy that I was there writing a column from there, but the bartender didn't care. In order to hold my place at the bar, I felt obliged to buy a beer. You were just supporting the local business. Absolutely. That was it. I was giving so, back to the community. You know, actually, that's one of the things that your siblings always say about you, and I haven't seen it, but they would, you know, even when we were dating, the joke was that you would never pick up a check that you would never pay for something. And that hasn't held, I, I don't see because that. Because it's not true. It was a fantasy of theirs that I wouldn't pick up a but check. It, but it's something that's clear. But all four of your siblings have that same view of you. So at some point... That's because it, it became the one of the many things to give me crap about. That's what my siblings do. That's what, that's what that's all good families do. That's how we showed affection do, in our family course. by but, belittling each other. But this one of the things that... This is a perfect example. Why wouldn't you just call a cab? Why can't imagine? Because that's one of the th that's you. That's no, you no, in a nutshell. No, no, you no. don't like think things through. You think, all right, I need a ride to get home from a day of drinking. So I how thought this through. I thought this through and said, I can't drive. I'm going to leave the car in the parking garage tomorrow. We'll come down and get it. You also didn't take a cab to go back down to the garage to get it. We put our family in in the van. Drove. I drove you down. Like, let's let's agree to disagree. Anyway, let's not make this a anyway. No, an but this but me. this goes into kind of what we're, we're going to talk about a little bit today. And of course, I do things that get on your nerves without question. Everybody, everybody in a relationship, oh, I can't they, think of anything. They do things to get on each other's nerves. But I didn't realize this until what year did the Pint Man come out? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. So we were married seven years at that point. So 
your novel, The Pint Man. So people, some, when that first came out, people would ask me, oh, are you the inspiration for the, the main character, Maraid? And, um, and my only response to that was this. The only character traits of mine that are in your novel are when you talk about the ex-girlfriend, Rachel, and all the annoying things that she did, including if she would go and pay for something at the store, that she would like rummage through her change purse for exact change. I now pay with all the time with credit card, but back in the day, back when you wrote that novel, well, that's exactly that's exactly what I did. No, my point is this: the only character traits no, of nonsense. mine that that's are nonsense. in that novel are the all the annoying character traits of. So what else? What of, else? Of, of no? So I'm just saying that was the first time I said, oh. These things that I do get on Steve's nerves, and so to, I don't know if it's to your credit. First like, would a marriage therapist fiction say is it's not? Is not? It's fiction for a reason. It's made up, and the only character trait that I shared with the main character was once making change out of the collection basket at mass, <laughs> which may be why my brothers think that I'm a cheapskate. You didn't really do that. Of course I did. If you're going to put, on. if you want to put five dollars in a collection basket, and you only have a ten, but you need five bucks to get back home on the subway or something, is it better to give them nothing or to give them $5? I've never seen someone make change and I would be horrified if they did. Come on. How old were you? 30. <laughs> Come on. Was this at St. Patrick's in New York City? Uh, Where was yeah, it? Yeah, probably was. So. Oh, this is horrifying. <laughs> my brothers and I, you might have been there. We're in suburban Chicago where my oldest brother and youngest brother live. And we were... The three of us and my dad, who was also visiting, were conscripted when we walked into Mass to be the, the ushers that day, to take up the collection that day. This isn't when I made change. This is just another collection story while I'm thinking of it. And this actually did go into the Pint Man. We were taking up the collection, and as we were walking down the aisles, the four aisles, holding out the long-handled basket, if somebody doesn't want to give, of course, you pass them they by. They just look away and don't make eye contact. Right. My dad would nudge the guy in the ribs with a long-handled basket as if he were, you know, as if he were like the man on the Monopoly card nudging a, a sleeping drifter on his doorstep. I've never heard this story. This isn't true. It is true. He was, yeah, come on, buddy. Cough up. Is what as he was saying. As if they just don't that. see the basket? As if they just don't see the basket. Hey, buddy. Cough up. Oh, well, that's that's unbelievable. Um, let, let's get back to what gets well, on your nerves. But no, no, but n since we're since we're talking about being in church, one of my absolute favorite things that you have ever said to me, you came and said to me after you had been at a good friend of ours, Father's Wake. I would just like you to retell that story, please. Well, we've all been to, unfortunately, the number of funerals by the time you reach this age. And we've all heard people appropriately lauded at the end of a long, productive life. Some of it, perhaps, over the top. And I should say that my dad, who's been to many more of these services than I have, said to me once, listen, I'd prefer you give no eulogy for me. If you feel that you must, make it brief. <laughs> and I will, I will honor that request. So I said to you, and I mean this, and you know I, you know that I know you I mean, mean it. this. I hope that if you feel the need to eulogize me, fifty years from now, 
you will open with this line. Let's face it, he could be a bit of a... <laughs> I think it would be refreshingly honest. And, and and then just be seated. Not only not only refreshingly honest, but ridiculously factual. Hey, and 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 you just said and be seated. I have to say, and I don't, I've never told you this. On those moments when you really really make me mad, and generally if if we're having an argument or if you've done something that takes me off, I don't address it right away. Like, because I know I'll say something that I shouldn't say, and I'll, I'll handle it later. In fact, but, I thought one of the a better name for this podcast could have been the silent treatment. <laughs> So when you've done something that just has boiled my blood and made me really angry, I do think to myself, I'm, when, I, when I eulogize him... And it will be tonight. And, and whenever that, that terrible day comes, I will utter the line he requested me to utter, and then I will sit down. <laughs> Nothing will follow it. Um, and, and it will be on video conference from a women's correctional facility. <laughs> well... So, I, and I'm sure because I've talked to, to my other friends about this, things that people do that frustrate one another. So we generally, because we, we, we have four kids, so as we're putting them to bed, we don't end up finishing putting them to bed at the same time. So usually I'm downstairs a few minutes before you come downstairs and the television's on and I'm watching something. And 99% of the time you'll come down the stairs, <laughs> sit down, grab the remote, turn the channel. You won't say, are you watching this? You won't do anything other than just assume that I want to watch but baseball or CNN or what. It doesn't matter. Let's back up a moment. Okay. I come down after you. Why? Because, because I'm lying down with three of the four kids. That is not true. And I'm reading the entire Harry Potter series that, with any one of that them is true. in rotation. No, I put I generally put two of the kids to bed, you put the other two to bed and two you, who are in the same room so that it should only count as one. And <laughs> that's interesting, Marquette math. But you put our oldest to bed, she goes to bed the latest, you're reading Harry Potter with her. But that's not, that has nothing to do with the fact that you come down and what you've because you're up there later, you you can just grab the remote and turn the channel. We do have more than one TV in this house. And I don't I don't generally really care about what I'm watching, but just you saying, do you mind if I turn the channel, would be nice. Well, once again, you bear no resemblance to a fictional character. The fictional character that you're describing who is watching TV when I come downstairs. You are almost always watching basketball on your iPad. I think you'll agree with that. And so I am now required to listen to the audio of what you're watching on your iPad while sitting next to you on the couch. You also have the TV on to something. And I think given two screens and two separate sets of audio going on in the room that I'm entitled to choose what's on one of them. Okay. So if you're going to choose what it is, sometimes I'll get into whatever it is that we're watching. And it wouldn't be sports in this case, but say we're watching CNN or we're watching anything. One of the things that you really enjoy doing is then having your own running commentary about what's happening on TV, about the anchor person delivering it, about well, whatever. This is and I might, perhaps I'm fascinated by the local news story of, you know, the dog being locked in the car, but I can't listen to the second half of it because you is, will interject everything that you think I should hear instead of this what's is on the screen. This is what I endured and grew to love, <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome growing up. 
we would watch, my dad would have the news on, and he would speak in the anchorman's voice, mocking that anchorman. So the anchorman would say, police are on the lookout tonight, and my dad would interject, for the man who sold me this tie. <laughs> a sociopath is wanted in connection with the haircut he gave me. And so I had no choice. It's the same thing in traffic. The kids will say, why is dad talking oh, to the other drivers? I was going to bring that because up. Because my dad did that. Hey, buddy, don't oh. use your turn signal. Oh, oh, this is your father that you're yeah. being right now. Okay. Yeah, because he didn't swear in front of the children when, when we were growing up. Well, you, I mean, the running commentary in the car is unreal. And, and oftentimes, fortunately, in our, in our awesome minivan that still hasn't been detailed, our kids have their headphones in and they're watching a DVD and they can't hear it. But I'm in, shot, in the shotgun seat forced to listen to you. You comment on everything. Uh, well, let's... You're turning there, buddy. Or, and, it's, and it's kind of in an angry tone of voice. Well, and at uh, some point... No, no, sometimes I offer compliments for good driving. <laughs> <laughs> wow, would you look at the wonderful left turn that gentleman just made. I should, oh. I should pull up next to him and congratulate him on that. Does, uh, While asking him if he has any gray poupon. You, 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 <laughs> you need to figure out the inner model. Like, do, like, do you talk out loud when you're alone? driving do you do you comment on the other Every drivers? Every once in a while I do. Okay. Well, let's pretend that you're alone even if you have a car full. Why because... do I have the feeling I won't have to pretend that I'm alone <laughs> in the future? And of course there are times where it is appropriate to say something or in my case to silently say something to one of the other drivers. The other day for the first time in my life I flipped off another driver, but it was com he completely deserved it. So you and I were actually driving, you were, you were in the car in front of me, and we came to an intersection and, and we realized that we were in a part of a funeral procession. And so the light was green, the, the traffic was barely moving, but I moved into the intersection because I was pretty certain that there was somebody behind me who was part of the funeral procession. But then the light turned yellow and red and I was stuck in the middle of the intersection. And a guy coming the other, the other way, just like, guns it towards me like he's going to try to t-bone me and i look over at him and kind of shrug my shoulders and with my hands point to the line of cars which are the reason i am in the intersection because it's a funeral procession that we've somehow found our way in the middle of and the guy just starts like i can just see him gesticulating with his hands and yelling at me and it just it was so annoying but out of respect for the funeral i didn't say anything i just turned my head looked away from him and flipped him the bird and didn't even feel a little bit bad about it. Like he was completely wrong. He was having some kind of road rage because he wouldn't wait, couldn't wait for me to get out of the intersection. And I'm pretty confident that the two kids that were in the car didn't see me because they never said anything about it. But no question who did see you were the other mourners in the funeral procession. <laughs> Who didn't, didn't know that we had insinuated ourselves into this funeral procession and were probably wondering because the road snaked a little bit and they could see... They could see <laughs> you do this. Was that Aunt Martha flipping off that guy <laughs> well, en route to the cemetery? Well, even better. It had been a cold day, so I was wearing my bright orange Nike puffy coat. <laughs> like, basically a fluorescent a fluorescent life vest-looking thing in the car with, with my head above it. So, yeah, so some guy in our town is driving around saying that I flipped him off. 
but he has no uh, idea that he should have been flipped off and deserved to be flipped off. And while I'm, I'm really not proud of it, I, um, I don't regret it one bit. So we, we've covered brief eulogies in which we insult I wonder if the, there's the newly a brief, deceased. What if there's a brief eulogy that morning? And now we're flipping people off in uh, funeral processions. I shouldn't say we are, you were. And it's, it's a testament to your forbearance that you've reached this advanced age without ever having flipped Well, let's off. just make it clear that the guy who tried to T-bone me was not part of the funeral procession. He was the one who was in a hurry to get somewhere trying to break up the funeral procession. So I just want to make that very, very clear. There's a form of road rage that, that I particularly enjoy, and that is it's sort of like secondhand smoke. It's secondhand road rage or backseat road rage, where you get enraged at me for getting mad at other drivers. Can you explain that? <laughs> Well, this started years ago, and it and it hasn't um, ceased. But I don't think we had children at this point, and it was the fr <laughs> the first time that I'd kind of seen this firsthand. We were driving on Route Two, and people who know Connecticut know Route Two. It's you know a two lane, each direction kind of a highway. So we were in a traffic jam. It was in the summer. That road can get busy if people are going to the beach, whatever. That's not important. Do people this in other is... states have little highways that don't go in both directions? <laughs> well, I'm saying, Let's explain I don't want to mean it's like two ways as if it's, you It's know, not divided. Yes, yes. So anyway, you get frustrated with some driver because they cut us off. And we're in complete stop and go traffic. And at some point, you pull up next to the guy who you're angry with. And you're to the left of him. I'm in the passenger seat. And you roll down my window so that you can yell across me to the guy. And I'm just sitting there thinking, what if this guy has a gun? What if this guy is going to like throw something at us? You rolled down my window to yell across me to yell at the guy. And I think at one point we even got into like, I'm trying to put my window up with the power, <laughs> with the power window and you're on the driver's side. Trying to put it down. I'm lucky you didn't child lock me and over, but you put out my window. To yell at the guy. That's not backseat. That's just, I don't know what that that's is. It's what unsafe. I love about you. I, that's what I love about you. You're willing to serve as my human shield. <laughs> I, I, I was not a willing shield. I was an unwilling shield. But let, let's say that more often, more often than me raging in traffic, I internalize it. I, I boil on the inside. I don't act out. You know, I'm like packaged meat where it says cook to an internal temperature of 165 degrees. Most of the time that I'm driving, I'm cooking to an internal temperature. Yes, of I've always thought of you as packaged meat. Yes, well, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And I think if you well, so, check so, me with a meat thermometer on a regular basis, you would find that I am internally boiling. Yes. But externally, I'm as calm as can be. That is so untrue. You are, you are not calm externally. But I'm glad to know that the uh, you're suppressing whatever it is. <laughs> well, as I alluded to earlier, I think there should be a counterweight to road rage, road joy, where you drive around appreciating the courtesy of other drivers. Okay, and uh, and would that be manifested in like when somebody waves you through an intersection, you wave back it, and say it thank most, you? It mostly be manifested by other drivers thanking me for well, my courteous driving because, because I use turn signals. Nothing. I, I have appropriate etiquette at four-way stop signs. Yes, you do. And you, <laughs> I don't know what happened to you when you were a kid, but when if we come to a four-way stop sign and somebody else waves you through, instead of you waving back and saying thank you, you get angry with them. Don't tell me what to do. Well, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Follow the rules of the road. And if it's your right of way, go. Don't wave me forward. 
impatiently. It's impatience and seething anger masquerading as courtesy. No, no, pal, you go. I'm going to direct traffic here. But although you and I did realize recently because we would get frustrated when we were at, you know, if we were waiting to turn left somewhere and a person in the intersection in front, it was right in front of us, if they didn't pull into the intersection and, and in order to go, but didn't you then look it up and... No, people told me on Twitter that it's against the law in certain places. So did you check and see if it was against no, the law in Connecticut? No, I continue to pull into the intersection. Yeah, I pull into the intersection too. It's what you should do. It's the courteous right thing to do. And it's the way I learned. Which, of course, means it's then right. <laughs> when my driver's ed teacher pulled into my driveway, he said to me, how many times have you driven? And unlike my siblings, who had taken the car out at 14 in snowstorms and whatever when my parents had gone to a movie, I told the guy, I've never driven. And he looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me. I've you gotta... never drove before you took your driver's ed first lesson? Not only had I never driven, my parents had to urge me don't you want to get a driver's license? You're 16 and a half. I, I didn't go on the first day that I turned 16. I was didn't go until my parents made me go get a driver's license. You know, I think this is the right time to tell this story, which is when we got married, you were living in New York City. So, of course, you didn't have a car. You were living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, didn't need a car, cabs, subway, buses, whatever. That was all you needed. But when we got married and you moved to Connecticut, you needed a car. And you really, really wanted a Mini Cooper. And so we went to the Mini Cooper dealership. You know, we actually fit in it, both of us, and it was a fun car to, to ride. But it was a few months' wait in order to get an automatic also the, transmission. Also, the, the car dealer, car salesman, shamed me into saying, you don't, you, don't want an auto, you don't get this car to drive it as an automatic. Come on. But in, all, in truth, the only reason that you purchased it as a standard transmission was because it was the only way to get it relatively quickly. And I will never forget, right next to the mini slash BMW dealership was like the old convention center. It was the whole old High Lie oh, the arena whole, right, in Hartford. And, and parking lot. And so you get in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. The poor guy from the dealership climbs in the back of the two-door Mini Cooper. We look like three people in a kayak. <laughs> in a clown car. And you then take the car for a test drive. You who have never driven a stick shift in, my life. in your life. And, um, and the poor guy <laughs> folded up in the back of the car. And then you ended up purchasing that car. And... I believe, was I the one who taught you how to drive this? You know this? damn well when <laughs> you tell this story. Go? You took me to the high school parking lot. Which was where? You taught me how to drive a stick. Which... And I stalled that thing out in like the left turn lane of a green arrow 15 times with people laying on the horn and yeah. flipping me off. You talk about road rage. Wait till you stall out uh, a stick shift in a left turn lane at a busy intersection of rush hour. And what made me think of that was that's the same parking lot where I learned how to drive because my father took me there. He had a truck that had like, a, it was a standard transmission, but it was like three gears on the stick shift. And anyway, so he taught me how to drive there. So that's why I, I can't even well, imagine going, because of course I took driver's ed, but I had driven plenty of times. My parents had already taught me how to drive before I went there. So for you to go to driver's ed and never having <laughs> driven a car is, is just kooky. It's a Rockwellian American rite of passage when your wife takes you to the high school parking lot and teaches you how to drive. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I'm sure most men who are listening, if any men are listening, 
I think people are listening. Can, can relate to that, as can their wives. I am yet to find another woman who taught her husband how to drive a stick shift, so if any of them are out there... Well, first of all, I was the only know. man driving a Mini, as I discovered <laughs> That's after a couple true of years. Everyone else driving was a 55-year-old woman. Or a 17-year-old girl. Or a 17-year-old girl. And me. <laughs> and you were totally fine with that. Of course I was. So... When we talk to our children, and you know, we're what, only three and a half years away from our oldest learning how to drive, we'll ask them, Who do you want to teach you how to drive? Or maybe you haven't been there when I've asked them this, and they've all smartly looked and said they want me to teach them how to drive. And I will tell our son, Son, when you get married, be sure you have your wife <laughs> teach you how to drive. This summer, um, you were less than happy with me when we got into a fender bender when we were out in Minnesota. We were driving your sister's, we borrowed your sister's car to, uh, to, to drive up north to her cabin and we got into a little bit of a fender bender. Everybody was fine. There was very little damage to the car. And uh, when we were trying to figure out exactly how to handle the situation, Perhaps me, I, perhaps I said, me do we, saying... Do we submit this to insurance now? What is the process? And you said... I don't know. I've never been in an accident as the driver. <laughs> Which I didn't think you were, was going to make you quite as upset that, as that, it did, made That did you. set off parking lot rage in the, uh, in the parking lot of the gas station where this conversation took place. Well, and then, you know, I just was glad that you are from a family like mine, where when we pulled into your sister's cabin, it's the beginning of a week over the 4th of July holiday, and you get out of the car and tell her that you've gotten into an accident in the car she loaned us. Her first instinct was to say, are you okay? And then her second instinct, and every one of your siblings' instincts, was to then just bust your balls the rest of the week. As they do. I'm a poor tipper and a frequent uh, accident getter in her. It's not the only thing that drives you crazy about being in the car when somebody else is in the car and gives you a call. Oh, so there's, you know, sometimes you, your cell phone rings and you're trying to figure out, you know, whether or not to answer the phone. And mostly it's because I'm trying to figure out if the person on the other end really wants to talk to me, if they want to leave a message. So if you are calling me, I, I have, know... I have to say, if I'm calling you, you don't answer because I called you five times yesterday. I was in the shower. didn't answer. But most of the time, if you call, I know it's because you want to talk to me because if not, you would just be texting me. But people that you don't talk to very frequently, you're sometimes wondering, all right, do they want to talk to me or do they just want to leave a message? Because we all know sometimes I'm calling someone and I've got in my head exactly what my message is going to be when I leave it. So I had a friend of mine call me a couple weeks ago, Maria Taylor, who I work with on women's college basketball. She was calling and I answered. And the first thing I said right before she could say anything was, you know, were you planning on just leaving a message or did you actually want to talk to me? And her response was, no, this is great because she was in a car driving to her next football gig two hours away. So she was happy to be killing time. And I didn't really have anything going on. So I was happy to be that other party in the time killing. But it's never good when you answer the phone, the other person's in the car, they're just looking to kill time and you do have stuff to do. And I think you are that person for well, quite I'm, a few I'm, people. I'm that person for a big Fortunately, I never have other stuff to do, but I am a writer <laughs> who works at home, so I frequently pick up the phone and hear, hey, I just got in my rental car at O'Hare and I've got three hours before my meeting in Sheboygan. What's going on? And then you know you're in 
for a for a three hour phone call. It's never good when the conversation when you say, "Hey, how's it going?" and that person says, "Oh, not bad. I'm my car is in to get serviced right now," and you know they've got two hours on their hands with with nothing to do but talk to you. You're just the time killer for them. And I'm honest with you. Sometimes if I'm driving home late at night from ESPN, for example, or if I'm driving home late from doing a game, I'll call you and say. I just need you to talk to me for the next 30 minutes to keep me awake. <laughs> but I don't really ever call people just to kill time. There's other th aren't there other things to do? Well, and if you were to call somebody to keep you awake, it probably wouldn't be me. <laughs> that's, that's true. It's more just, just be an, an ear on the other end. Listen to me while I uh, In fact, get I think through Route 2. This podcast is the call that's attempting to keep people awake. <laughs> and the we are bothered. Is, we are the people listening have a three-hour car ride right. and don't want to hear this. And the question is: Are we keeping them awake, or are we getting them into fender benders where they then look at the person next to them who says, "I don't know how to handle this. I've never been in an accident." Well, that that would be you. But enough about us. Let's turn our gaze outward. I think we've we've said it all on our bickering. If people want to hear an old married couple bicker, they can they can take a flight through the normal way. Let's turn our gaze outward. Not literally, we're in a basement, we can't see anything. There are no windows. But let's take a look at stuff going on in the outer world. There was a moment that you loved in the World Series. Game two, Jock Peterson hit a home run off Justin Verlander. You don't watch a ton of baseball, but something about that kind of caught your eye. Well, I don't watch a lot of baseball. I really like baseball, just especially because baseball season generally coincides with the WNBA season. I don't watch a lot of it. I enjoy going to games. I enjoy listening to Dave O'Brien's voice during the Red Sox telecast, but I don't watch a lot. So I don't know who a lot of the players are outside of the superstars. But you had the World Series on, which it's, of course, been enjoyable to watch. But when I saw Peterson hit the home run, what struck me was the joy that he had running the bases. He looked like a kid who has just hit a home run in Little League, and he's bouncing up and down, and it was so real and so just raw. I, I loved it. And I said to you right away, who is this guy? What's his story? I don't know anything else about him. I don't know anything else that he's done this season, but that moment was awesome, and it's made me a fan of his just because... It was so real and raw, and it seemed like innocent emotion. I should say this was the Game 2 home run where he bounced around the base paths like Tigger, not the Game 4 home run where he, he yelled, You like that? <laughs> sort of in, in an angry joy. Right. Afterwards. I don't know that I would have liked that you like that, but I loved the Game 2 one. You know, it just... So often people say, act like you've been there before. Well, I agree with that when it's like a premeditated touchdown celebration. But when it was this guy and this real exuberance and feeling the moment, I just absolutely loved it. It was just it. unbridled joy. And I read a quote with some astonishment from a Little League World Series coach. This Little League World Series just passed where he said he had told his team of 12-year-olds going into the tournament, act like you've been there before. Act like you've been there before. You're 12. You haven't been there before. And nor should you act like you have. And I love it when a big leaguer acts like he hasn't been there before. Of course he hasn't been there before hitting a home run in the World Series. You so rarely get that just unfettered joy. And it made me think of you in 1995 running around the Target Center floor after winning the national championship at UConn. You hadn't been there before, but you were running with an unfettered 
joy that demonstrated very clearly that you hadn't been there before. Yeah, and nothing, nothing pre-planned, and you can kind of tell that. And one of the things that I love more than anything is when you coach little kids playing basketball for the first time. And I've been able to do that with three of our four, and our youngest I'm going to coach this year for the first time. And there's nothing like the the first game where kids have never played this sport in an organized way anymore. And I don't know if it's the same way with boys and girls. It, it feels like it is because it was a little bit with our son. But even more so with girls, the first time one of the girls on the team made a basket on the eight and a half foot hoop with the smaller basketball. These are second graders, so they're seven and eight years old. Not only did the girl who made the basket jump up and down, but all four of her teammates pogo sticking, just jumping up and down because they're so excited. And then they inevitably look over at me as the coach like, what do we do now? And you have to just say, run back on defense, run back on defense. And I love that. And, and our 11-year-old still, when she makes a shot, especially if it's a three, the first thing she'll do is like bounce up and down a little bit and look over at me with a big smile before running back down the court. And I love it. There's there's just this, it, it's, it's just what's true and real and great about sports. And it's not, you know, throwing up the three goggles or putting your your fingers in the air and running down the court. It's not that. That you've seen somebody else do and you're planning to do it. It's when these kids just, this is what is natural for their body, is to just be excited. I, it's, it's one of the most gratifying things, I imagine, for any coach who's coached any sport. And I, I wrote a column in Sports Illustrated about Little League sports, and afterwards a guy wrote to me saying that his daughter had scored her first and perhaps only goal in seven-year-old, six-year-old soccer, and when she did, after she did, she ran and leaped into the arms of another player, Yogi Berra style, and that other player was on the other team. <laughs> and I just love that, you know, because when you say act like you've been there before, it's another way of saying, you know, conceal your joy, basically. And you have the rest of your life, we all have the rest of our lives to act like we've been there before. We won't even have to act, because we will have been there before at some point. We will have been everywhere and done everything. And so to tell children to act like they've been there before, Personally, I don't think it's great advice. Well, we had the girls last year who played on our daughter's team, and it was even though they were in fifth grade, it was their, their twin sisters, and it was the first time that they had ever played basketball. And we had gone through three quarters of the season. The, the first day of practice, they couldn't even reach the rim. They didn't know how to dribble. They had never played before. Get to three quarters of the way through the season, and they're good athletes, so they're, they're learning the game and one of them makes the shot for the first time. That just makes me think of it. She turned and she jumped in our daughter's arms and was having her hold her, you know, while you're, we're trying to tell them to run back on defense. But it was just, just an absolutely awesome, real, true joy. Uh, I'll never get enough of it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that our, our youngest is starting to play this year and I'm going to be able to experience those things for the first time. Then it, it's going to make me a little sad that, I will never again have that chance to watch these kids do this for the first time because um, it's just so amazing. We should get the Latin phrase for act like you've never been there before. That should be our slogan for this program. Uh, speaking of this program, I think you've said it all once again. Uh, our great producer is Denny Gallagher. We're on Twitter at Ball and Chain Pod. Ball and Chain Pod, yes. Uh, before we go, and we'll see you next week, any travel tips for this week? Rebecca is uh, somebody who travels, what, three or four million miles, air miles a year? Probably not quite that many. It certainly but seems it... that way to me, but uh, you got any travel tips for the people this week? I think my number one travel tip is if you're traveling in the summertime, 
Leave the shoes on, or the flip-flops on, especially if you're going to cross your leg. Sweetheart, you're suggesting that people are wearing shoes to the airport. That's, that's... <laughs> when, yes, they're, when you're wearing flip-flops and you remove your flop, your flippity-flop, don't then cross your leg and put your dirty foot up near me. The second one, because this has happened to me more than once, is if you're sitting next to someone and you fall asleep, don't put your head on their shoulder. I know my shoulder is the perfect height for most people. Keep your head off my shoulder. And if you fall asleep and you know, you're in the middle seat, don't have a lot of room for your hands, if you rest it on my knee, I'm not gonna wake you up. But if you start if your hand starts going up towards my thigh, I'm gonna wake you up and, and push you towards the guy on the window. So that was more than one travel tip, but trust me, it could save your life. That's good. It's good for me to know. I'd uh, I would say from experience, don't change your infant on the tray table. Uh, I've traveled with infants many times and uh, tried to change them discreetly in the. Don't change their diaper or them. Well, don't change don't change their diaper, no matter who it, who it is, on the tray table next to me. Also, to your point of wearing shoes, I prefer. I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule, but if you can avoid it, I'd prefer you didn't clip your toenails in the seat next to me. I've also experienced that the little crescent moons of toenail cartwheeling past my field of vision. Not pleasant. So, yeah, I think that's it. The clearly, clearly, this podcast also not only brought just brought to you by bookstores, brought to you by frequent flyers everywhere. Tom, Dick, and Harry, play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.